everyone welcome back to 80s high the podcast that will do anything to win a major award as it revisits that radical decade we're so fond of i'm chris and i'm ben yellow eyes my god yellow eyes oh farkas (laughs) Farkas. and this is 80s high ben tis the season once again tis the week of christmas that this is hitting the airwaves how you feeling it is. And I knew I, we, there's so much to talk about with mm. today, this week's topic. Uh, I did have to get out a special hydration vessel for the holidays. Mm. I dug this big cup out. Is that a Hardy's official Ghostbusters headquarters? Official uh, Ghostbusters 2 cup, two. which takes place at Christmas, right? So uh, Ghostbusters so 2 to... Electric Boogaloo! <laughs> I'm not sure that was, that was a working title. That was the working title. Oh, that is true, because at the end, aren't they all singing Christmas carols around exactly. the museum? Exactly, they all come together to make the shell of uh, sla- ooze You've just shattered. blown my mind. Ghostbusters 2 is a Christmas movie. Oh, it most certainly is. It's always on my uh, annual holiday watch list around I've gotta, this time. I've got to add that to the list as well. It's great. It's great. Slime! Okay, Slime! we don't want to talk too much about I that know, movie. Sorry, it's so movie, good. No, movie, it's so good. It's so good. Run movie. Uh, okay, well, I think we need to consult the Class of 80s High because it is the holiday. Yes. And we asked our Class of 80s High some fun questions about today's topic. But one of them was a little to the side, but very important. And that it was holiday dishes. Mm. Those things we look forward to every holiday, can't wait to eat. Whatever food accompanies your Ghostbusters 2 <laughs> cup of beverage, Ben, that's the kind of stuff we're looking at. Uh, it's, it's the raw materials for chicken nuggets. It's pink slime is usually what goes, what goes along with it. <laughs> the slime comes back. It's so gross. Tasty. Okay, so what did our class of 80s high have to say, cookies? Mm. I mean, come on now. Especially those little... I know they they come in like the tin, but they're like the the little cookies that are what are they like sugar cookies? Oh yeah, for sure. They got like the different frosting or yes, like little sprinkle yes, stuff cute on little top. Shapes for the holidays. Yeah, uh, I'd love to read the second one because this person is my spirit animal. Please, it's just in all caps: Nana's biscuits and gravy, which is the only breakfast thing I ever order when I'm out. I love biscuits and gravy. So Mother Chris, she mm. makes. Such good biscuits and gravy. (gasps) Delicious. I love it. So good. So good. Cheese ball. So much cheese ball. Oh, that's a, I don't know. You don't see cheese ball as much anymore. That feels like a very 80s thing you would bring to a potluck or have at like the holidays, right? Yeah. Uh, What was it? The Toll House cracker. Is that what those were called? Oh, yeah, yeah, Wait, was it Toll? No, no. uh, The Keebler. Keebler. The Keebler, like the little townhouse cookies or crackers or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. That goes just wonderfully. scoop it into the cheese ball. <laughs> so good. Salty. Get a little... Mm. I should try... Okay. I need to actually try a cheese ball. I know this sounds crazy. You don't have to put this on the episode. But like with all the nuts, I I don't think I've ever been uh, allergic during the season to have a cheese ball. But so now, I've had a cheese I ball can. that didn't have like nuts in it. It had like little pieces of shaved ham, I think is what it was. <laughs> like it's a different kind. But yeah, now that you can have nuts... 
I do love a good spiral cut uh, honey baked ham. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this next one was a write in from Billy Bob Thornton and Bad Santa. Uh, my family was never big on a traditional meal for the holidays and was always switching it up. When I came of age, though, the answer definitely became alcohol. <laughs> I almost thought you were going to say Billy Bob Thornton from Sling Blade and be like, biscuits with mustard. Biscuits and mustard. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I know we just had Thanksgiving, but I'm always looking forward to more turkey. You know, some people can't get enough of the magic holiday bird. Yeah, there were a couple turkeys on here. I like that. Um, well, this don't, sounds... don't, don't call these people turkeys. They took our yeah, quiz, man. a couple of turkeys on here <laughs> taking our quizzes. Uh, Why, certainly. Uh, this sounds decadent and a mm. lovely Christmas feast. Lamb. Our lamb. tradition is lamb for Christmas dinner. How nice is that? Yeah, I don't... Gosh, have I ever had lamb at, like, a holiday? I don't think so. No, is I don't know. Fancy. It's fancy. It sounds delicious. Our listener base is too fancy for us. Uh, we actually started eating at a Chinese buffet on Christmas Day when our kids were small, and we look forward to it so much each year. It's like, especially back then, like nothing was open on Christmas Day. Yeah, right. right. It's not true these days. Like, there's more open, but it's like even like a McDonald's wasn't open. Right. I'm hoping this movie inspired that family tradition though of going to the Christmas buffet for that person. That's awesome. That's super oh my gosh. cool. Love a buffet. And last, I don't, I don't know who this Rob is, but this person just wrote: <laughs> Rob's family has a tradition where they make Yorkshire pudding. On Christmas. Yorkshire? Yorkshire? That is a great question. Don't know that I know the answer to it, but also don't know that I've ever had Yorkshire slash Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> I don't I think, think I, I have ever. either. Hmm. Well, listener, uh, if there's room at your table this Christmas, invite us over. We're interested to try <laughs> Yorkshire, Yorkshire pudding. I want to say it's Yorkshire. Let's go with that. You know what? It's our podcast. We'll do what we want. Because the other one the other one is a Hobbit town in the United Kingdom, Yorkshire. Um, mm. So I think it's Yorkshire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. Ben, you had another topic you wanted to bring up. You know, when you're, you're playing so much Christmas radio and, and Christmas um, streaming things on Spotify and Pandora. Mm. There's just something about like the American accent, uh, transatlantic, I think you called it, of like yes. all the Christmas classics. You just don't hear that voice singing anymore. And it's so yeah. perfect and it encapsulates a time and just a lot of nostalgia. It's that we talked in our first episode. It's like a nostalgia that you weren't alive for. It's the pre-nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like the perfect quintessential holiday singing voice. It's so good. Yeah, it's just of that era where people talked like this. Well, how's it going over there? Right. <laughs> I was like, I want that back. That's such a great accent that we don't know why it existed and yet we want it back. It's great. Great. It's super good. I love it. It just, it just makes the season. Well, it's funny you mentioned pre-nostalgia because I feel like that very much fits a Christmas story where there's this pre-nostalgia for like the 30s and 40s portrayed in this movie. But before we start talking about this particular topic, Uh, I think we need our morning announcements. Take it away, classmate. Attention 80s high, I'm Aaron, here to share today's homeroom announcements. If you're hoping to win a fragile major award, Skip the crossword puzzle and follow 80s High Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Today's lunch menu is rectangle sausage pizza, served with corn suspected to be from World War II K-rations. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine and join the class of 80s High. You'll be able to suggest show topics, send corrections, share other memories and opinions of the 80s, which may be read on the show. Email 80shighpodcast at gmail.com to join. That's 80s. After school today, join the Underwater Basket Weaving Club, where they'll be preparing for extended dives by playing Get Off Me, I Can't Breathe. Thank you, and have a tubular day. Go Mogwais! Okay, we're all set, Ben. Uh, We're wrapped, head to toe, in poofy coats, galoshes, (laughs) 
toboggans and a mummy wrapping's worth of scarves. I'm glad I already hit record because I can't move my <laughs> arms to press record now. <laughs> Let's waddle down the history class like a couple of bloated ticks to learn more about this movie's origins. I can't get up. <laughs> Ralphie. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but one of my favorite lines is when you first see Randy chasing after Ralphie and his friends. They're running to the school. And he's like, wait up, guys. And some kid bumps into him and he falls down, like hey, face plants kid. into the snow. Hey, kid. <laughs> That's his best statement he can make. Oh, it's so great. So, Ben, we're talking today about a Christmas story. Mm. One of the greatest, probably most classic, most known Western films about Christmas ever made. Possibly. It didn't used to be, though. I want to talk about the origins because when we get to chemistry, I have a very strange memory of where this movie came into my life. Oh, cool. Okay. And I don't know if it's similar for you. So what is it if you're not familiar or you just want a little nostalgic recap? It is a 1983 American Christmas comedy film that tells the story of Ralphie Parker through a series of vignettes and narration by adult Ralphie as he reminisces about one particular Christmas Mm -hmm. when he was nine years old and hatches many schemes to convince his parents, teacher, and even Santa that he should have a Red Ryder carbine action, 200 shot, Range model air rifle this Christmas. <laughs> All right. In addition to Ralphie, Ben, we have the old man, his the eccentric man. father with a poetically profane potty mouth. So much. Oh, wow. A lot of alliteration there. Nicely done uh, alliteration. Very good. And a never-ending battle with the furnace. Oh, my God. We have Mrs. Parker, who is the, what I like to say, the glue, soap, and heart of the family. <laughs> okay. And we have Randy, the kid brother, who plays with his food and is submerged in layers on his treks to and from school. And also is often overlooked. Poor little Randy. He's little Randy. I love him. We also have Ralphie's friends. We have Flick, who you most likely know from the infamous tongue scene. Flick? Flick who? Flick. (laughs) And Schwartz, Schwartz. true instigator and triple dog darer. Mm Mm-hmm. We also encounter school bullies, Scott Farkas, mm-hmm. with his wolf-like appearance, your reference at the top of the show with your intro. Oh, yes. And Grover Dill, the kid in the newsy hat, which you called a... Toady. Total toady. And we have Ralphie's teacher, Miss Shields. And that's kind of the main cast. There's lots of other folks in there. Santa makes his appearance. Yeah, yeah. I got Santa in there. And a lot of screaming children, terrified to go down Santa's slide. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. It's great. So this movie is set... Kind of nebulously. Late 30s, early 40s. It's funny. You go online, you see a lot of academic debate about when this movie takes place. Guess what? Doesn't matter. It was intentionally (laughs) not specific, but oh boy. Can I throw some of that debate in here on the history of when this takes place? Please go ahead. What are some of the things? From what I found, there's there's roughly a six-year period of when this movie could have taken place. The earliest being 1937. Mm-hmm. We know the Look magazine on Ralphie's mother's bed where he slides the advertisement in here. That is a real cover from Look magazine dated to December 1st, 1937 with Shirley Temple on the cover pouring tea for Santa Claus. There's a lot of The Wizard of Oz throughout this whole movie, which is a yeah. 1939 nod. But then we have 1940 uh, with little orphan Annie, and the model that Ralphie uses to decode the message is the 1940 Speedomatic model. And last but not least, the really weird curveball 
is you hear Bing Crosby's version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town in the movie, but that wasn't released until 1943. So, so the answer is period. 1943. No, the it's, answer is 1943. <laughs> okay, it's 1943. Or the answer is it's not supposed to be specific. <laughs> and this is purely nothing but academic debate for internet people. Which is fun. <laughs> which, like you said, a very energized debate on, on the internet world. Indeed. Read it away, everybody. <laughs> This movie is directed by Bob Clark. Ben, did we not talk about Bob Clark in a previous episode? We have talked about Bob Clark, but it's something a little less family friendly than A Christmas (laughs) Story, I'd say. A lot of dialogue about just mumbling to yourself that you couldn't understand. In our season two, episode three, where we talk about the slasher film genre with our classmate Mikey, we talk about Black Christmas as one of those proto-slasher Movies, also directed by Mr. Bob Clark. Yeah, How about that? that's perfect. So, Ben, going back to A Christmas Story, two years prior, yeah. Clark directed another 80s kind of quintessential movie, Porky's. Oh, yeah, right. Did you ever, did you ever see Porky's? I, uh, I'm i not just saying this in case my mother listens to this, but I have not seen Porky's. I, but I, I can picture the box yeah. cover. Like I, can, I remember as a kid walking through the video store, the yeah. rental place, and seeing the cover of Porky's and obviously being very intrigued about what is that all about. I have a feeling if we put that on the show, there would be a lot of problematic statements we'd Con- have to... <laughs> yeah, contemporary math classes would be very long. <laughs> uh, but the movie was a big success, and that gave Clark some momentum to go in to make this movie. Because yeah. the studios were like, okay, he's done well, he's a successful director, so there wasn't a lot of intervention, and he kind of got free reign to do what he wanted on this movie. Well, where did all of these stories come from? In comes Gene Shepard. A lot of these stories come from this semi-fictional book of anecdotes that he wrote in 1966 called In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. He also pulled in a few of the elements from another book in 1971 called Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories and Other Disasters. So Gene was like this well-known American humorist. He performed on the radio a lot after World War II going into the 60s. And may I ask? Please. In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. That's a collection of short stories. Where did those come from? So Gene claims they're purely fictional. They're not memoirs, that they're truly fictional stories with obviously some borrowed elements from his childhood. Yeah. But a lot of these stories that he told on the radio... Also were published in Playboy magazine. Is that where you were going? That is exactly where I was going, which I thought was fascinating that you've got Bob Clark, who <laughs> is coming off of Porky's, yeah. and Gene Shepard, where a lot of the stories that end up in A Christmas Story are what he first wrote for Playboy. This is very adult origins to what becomes one of the quintessential family Christmas movies, which I think is really interesting. Adds a little riskiness to it. No wonder there's a leg lamp a in leg there. Lamp, a major <laughs> award. A major award. So these two get together primarily because Clark heard the story Flick's Tongue from the radio show. And he's like, I love this guy. I love his style. I love his voice. I want to work with Gene on this movie. And they work for like almost a decade trying to develop this story. And one of the cool things is, is you we get to hear Gene's voice in this movie because he is the narrator as adult Ralphie. So yeah. that's that's the creator himself, which is right. cool. I didn't and, know that until researching and this. And he does have a great radio voice. Oh my like gosh. He's got a great narration voice. It's like he and Morgan Freeman can narrate everything. <laughs> Going forward. Going forward. Just hand it to Nobody him. else. Maybe Samuel L. Jackson sometimes when you need like the, the right zing. Right. But I'm like, there are people I could listen to forever. Yeah. Gene is one of these people. He's He made the list. It's great. 
I'm into it. So the movie is filmed principally in Cleveland, Ohio. And there are a lot of internal shots, primarily that are done in Toronto, Ontario. You know, they looked at 20 different cities before picking Cleveland, though. You got to find the right spot, buddy. Try to find that quintessential American city of the 1940s, Indiana. You need that look. You need the look. Nailed it. Casting. So we have one very familiar face because we talked about her and our Harry and the Hendersons. Oh my gosh, It's yeah. Melinda Dillon. She plays the mom. What'd you say? The glue, the soap, she was everything? And the, the heart. Family? The glue, and the, heart. the soap, and the heart. She held them together. She was the heart of the house. But also, she had no qualms about dispensing that soap bar when someone gets out of line. Oh my gosh, yeah. So Melinda Dillon, of course, is the mother in this movie. She also plays the mother in, which we talked about, in our episode on Harry and the Hendersons, which was a lot of fun. Ben, who else is in this movie? So somebody near and dear to your heart, one of your properties you love so much. We have someone who auditioned for Ralphie, but didn't quite make it. Mm-hmm. Quill Wheaton tried to be little Ralphie, but didn't, didn't quite get in there. Stand By Me. Ah, oh, Stand By Me. So Did you also see Sean Astin? Oh, really? Yeah, Sean also auditioned, which is really cool. Sean, of course... What big 80s movie was he in? Well, the, the Goonies. I know the one listener who, is, who has emailed us almost every other week since we started this asking when we're going to do the Goonies. They're going to be very excited <laughs> for a Goonies shout out. A uh, little shout out. And another familiar name, Keith Coogan. Do you know what Keith was in? No. Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, nice. Nice. And to complete his babysitting ventures, he also is in, I think, a 90s movie. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Oh, so deuces are done, man. Uh, I love it. Uh, well, and our creators make some kind of, I mean, they're kind of acting credits. Our creators do show up in the movie as well. So Bob Clark, director, when yeah. they're standing out on the street uh, and he's he's looking at the light and some guy comes up, he goes, what is what is that? Oh, it's a, hey, it's a major award. That's yeah. Bob Clark, the guy who's kind of like talking about the land. He's the nosy neighbor, the intrigued neighbor. Yeah. And when they go to the mall to talk to Santa and um, Ralphie and his brother go off to, t- to get in line by himself, they get way too far in the line and someone is like, back in the line. Like the, the line's, line's back, starts there. back there. That's yep. Gene Shepard. I thought that was great. So we don't only get to hear Mr. Shepard, we also get to see him. Yeah. Which I thought was cool because whatever his voice was, it did not sound like his voice no. or like narrator voice. Wouldn't have known. My only other cash shout out I thought was kind of cool is, of course, like Ralphie is super into Little Orphan Annie and he decodes yeah. it. And it's all about like, be sure to drink your Ovaltine. You know, it's this right. advertisement for chocolate. At the time, actor Peter Billingsley was the spokesperson for Hershey's Chocolate Syrup. A he rival played a character, Messy Marvin. Company. How cool is that? Is that a conflict of interest? Was he, did he have to find- You got to check the Hershey's- kind of- <laughs> Yeah, you got to read the gold foil when you open that to see your contract. It's a non-disclosure that. agreement. Yeah. Like, I can't divulge the secrets. <laughs> I, I just love that he was in deep with chocolate in this time of his life. A shill for big chocolate is all big I can chocolate. say. <laughs> big chocolate. <laughs> it's amazing. We also have Darren McGavin, who plays the old man, Mr. Mm-hmm. Parker, who's fantastic. And did you see who they initially wanted for that role, Ben? Uh, God, don't tell me it's box office poison John Travolta. <laughs> he gets a break this episode. <laughs> Is it Kevin <laughs> Bacon? Is Kevin Bacon? <laughs> Kevin gets a break as well. It's not a six degree. You know who would have been great in it too? The guy who plays Red Foreman in that 70s show? Oh, he would have been great actually. Right? 
That guy would have crushed it. He's the dad in Dead Poet Society. He plays the like mean dad in Dead Poet oh, Society. Oh yeah, right, 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 right. He might be too mean for this role because this isn't a mean dad. He's like a crouch, right, but he's right. like he's the loving man's that guy. Got a little bit in him, yeah. I guess that guy has some heart from 70s show, but man, he right. was he was a jerk bag he's a, he's in uh, Dead Poet Society. Well, who was it? Who was the real person? Jack Nicholson. What? Can you imagine this no. movie? Once again, we see this all the time in the show, but it's like. The fact that he was the top pick is kind of baffling to me because I just I don't see it. Jack just always has sort of like a smile and a way of talking to people in movies that he's like trying to take people home at night. Mm. And would have been an uncomfortable in this role. <laughs> yeah. And then well, he's, he's always got that like sparkle in his eye of crazy, which is a little disconcerting. He's got a little twinge of crazy. I was like, hey, Bumpuses, why don't you send your dogs back into your own yard? You know, it just wouldn't. You wouldn't get the bumpuses, you know, that at the end where the turkey's destroyed. He has this like false bumpuses. Oh, it's so good. You call that a tree? That's not a tree. Why don't you tie it to the top of my Winnebago? You know what? I think I read it was just he was asking for an insane amount of money. And so they yeah. were like, we can't go with Nicholson. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned who auditioned, but I don't know if you said Peter Billingsley is the one who nabbed yeah, the role. Did you see how many people auditioned for the role of Ralphie? Well, you said Sean Astin. So uh, it's more than four. I'm going to give you a hint. It's more than four people. Okay. No. <laughs> 8,000 children. What? That blew my mind. I know this is an important role to nail. 8,000. How do you even process that? I don't even know. But they said when Peter walked in, they just knew. Like, it was oh. one of those things where it was like an instant, like, here's the kid. They kept auditioning, but they were like, we already found him. It's perfect. The reception of this movie initially was kind of a sleeper film. It was overlooked. Like, it did okay at the box office. It was released the week before Thanksgiving, but by Christmas, it was out of the theaters. And just because some complaints were lodged at theater owners and the mm-hmm. studio, then they brought it back to a, a few more theaters, but that's really it. It didn't really bust out of the gate. But as we know, its popularity has done nothing but grow over the decades since. And it's often showing up in rankings of best Christmas movies, favorite holiday theme movies, etc. Okay, Ben, looking at this thing that tells time and the stock of my Red Rider, <laughs> we need to turn in our history themes and head down the hall to chemistry class. What do you say? I want you to write a theme. No! But don't worry, you're going to write it and it's pure poetry. <laughs> pure poetry. A plus. plus a plus. plus. Uh, I would love to run down to chemistry and get into this movie because there's so much to talk about. So much. I'll see you down there. Wait up, Ben. Wait up. Wait up. Hey, kid. <laughs> oh, my Goodness, we're getting to the best part. We get to talk about all the fun trips down memory lane, experiences with the movie. We got lots of class of 80s high input. But first and foremost, Ben, I have to ask you, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? You know what? This one goes back a little bit to Thriller, where I feel like it was just always part of existence. Like it was always just in the ethos. I definitely grew up in a household that once it started, and I know we'll talk about this later in contemporary culture, but we had TNT on in the background during mm. Christmas, and it was just always on, and you know, you catch the scenes 19 times a day or something, or, oh yeah, but you never see it from start to finish, because you're right. going in and out of the room. Right. I do have uh, some some connection to this movie, I guess, where it really hits home. 
my grandfather had a BB gun. It was technically my older brother's BB gun, but it was stored at my grandparents' house. Mm. We would visit them in the summer. And I remember my parents were out in town visiting others around that town for the day. And I was at home with my grandfather. And he just always, he always liked to get in very innocent trouble. And we were hanging out and he said, hey, you want to shoot the BB gun? (laughs) And I was like seven, six or seven. And I was like, yeah, we... We uh, drew a little target on a cardboard box and went in the backyard, and and I got to shoot the BB gun, and then it was then it was our little secret for a while. I, I mean, I think mom and dad found out a few days later, but uh, I I do relate to the excitement about getting to hold a BB gun. It was very. Mm. Were you auditioner seven thousand three hundred and twelve for the role of Ralphie? When did you get connected to this? You know, I'm not bitter. Uh, we all have to make choices in life, and <laughs> as I mentioned earlier, like this is a weird memory trip for me where I don't ever recall this movie in the 80s. I don't oh, recall this movie coming out. It's like this weird thing where I feel like it was the late 90s or early 2000s. This movie came into my like awareness. And it was one of those movies where I couldn't tell if it was just made or if it was made 40 years ago. Like it has that timeless quality to it. I think partially because of the time frame it's set in, the way it's shot, it has that kind of glossy, gauzy lens. I want to talk about that. Yes. to it. So yeah. it's like so hard to peg. I don't know how I missed this movie for so long, but I remember the whenever I first saw it, like I immediately enjoyed it. I was like, this is great. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I, I don't have like a great pinpoint for this one. It's really bizarre. For some reason, can't peg it. So you picked this in part because this is this is one of the quintessential mm. holiday movies in December. Yes. And we asked the class of 80s high, are there other holiday movies you think are more quintessential or, or up in that hierarchy that go along with this. So because before we get into this, I think we're going to compare this maybe to some other classic Christmas and holiday movies and just how it holds up. And what did people say, Ben? So what's great is there's uh, there's right out of the gate, I'd say the most popular one I heard back was another 80s one, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Mm. You know, several mm-hmm. people said that's got to be in there. Even one person said 100% capitalize the quintessential Christmas movie. <laughs> Indeed. I saw it here Elf 2. We got a lot of Elf. Not Elf 2, just Elf also. Great. <laughs> Wait, there's a sequel? <laughs> yeah, it goes to Los Angeles. That's a totally different thing. <laughs> so there's some expected ones here. You know, It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. And then, of course, like one of my very favorites, Home Alone, is in here several times. Is that a Christmas well. movie? Well, Home it Alone? takes place at Christmas. Does it? Breaks. Get out of here. You stop <laughs> You get out of here with your nonsense. I was like, wait a minute, is he serious? They step on Christmas ornaments. Okay. If you don't watch Home Alone at least once a year, you're a certified monster. (laughs) You are a Grinch. Yes. Uh, What what were some surprises in here? We've already mentioned it in this show, and we don't know who submitted this, but we have an inkling of an idea. Black Christmas made the list. Can you imagine that's on like your annual watch list, Black Christmas? I would watch it for the boozy house mom. I'm not going to lie. Oh my God. She knows how to party. I would go to her Christmas party. Yeah, and meet me in St. Louis. Yeah, speak of transatlantic accents. Meet me in St. Louis, kid. Ring-a-ding-ding. So for you who likes to put movies on trial, that's what you're up against here at Christmas Story. That's what everyone else says are the best ones of this time of season. Listen, I would not argue any of these movies. No. I'll even not argue Black Christmas, because you know what? I like a good slasher film, so you know. That's fair. It's it's by there. That's true. I'm sort of surprised the Grinch who stole Christmas didn't show up. Not gonna lie. Yeah, the claymation Rudolph one with uh, the elf dentist. Yeah, Yukon Cornelius. It's a great one. Gotta have that. So anyway, great options, great great movies. Ben, I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, So we're talking about this movie. The main theme. (laughs) 
if we had to submit a theme about Ooh, this movie, a theme. the main thesis is Ralphie has something he can't live without. That's yeah. the entire through line of all of the fun storylines and vignettes we get. Why is Ralphie's quest so relatable? Why do we identify with it? What is it about that experience? Well, it's so funny you asked that because I think, you know, everybody, whatever toy it might be, maybe it was a Teddy Ruxpin you were you were going for after. Instance. For instance, as an example. Or, or maybe a T-Rex Dino Rider. That's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> I think most children at one point or another were very excited to try and acquire some amazing toy thanks to some brilliant and manipulative marketers who convinced oh you needed gosh. it or there was nothing else. Whether that was a Cabbage Patch doll, a Light Bright, mm-hmm. uh, or a Nintendo Entertainment System, a Game Boy. Yeah. Because as a child, maybe you get an allowance, but you don't have enough allowance to get those kind of expensive toys or yeah. other kinds of cool toys. So as you said in one of our very early first season one episodes, all you have is pester power. That's all pester you got. Pester power. Yes. All you've got I is pester power. I forgot that term. So and good. so, uh, you know, whatever creative means to influence the influencers in your life mm. that you cannot live without this thing, I think everyone can relate to that, except me. So I couldn't remember if I had ever campaigned for a toy or something at Christmas. I had no recollection of ever doing something like this, like Ralphie. This is actually shocking to me. Knowing you as a person, knowing you as a professional and a marketing capacity, that you did not create a little portfolio, a theme one might say, in a nice little red folder where you're like, mother, father, please sit down. I have an amazing pitch for you. Great. So I couldn't even remember it. (laughs) Ben riding dinosaurs, (laughs) shooting lasers. I want a triceratops, a T-Rex, and a... Diplodocus. So I had to go to mom and dad, and I was like, do you guys remember me ever campaigning? And they oh. said, no. Interesting. Now, it sounds like I was more of an always-on sort of marketer rather than a seasonal promotion, <laughs> where it was, uh, apparently I had some pretty intense pester power if I was drugged through a Walmart or a Toys R Us. Oh, Anytime who wasn't? Right. I remember we would even go to like regular department stores that had a small toy section. And I was like, can I go to the toy section? I'm sorry. There can't be a single time that I went to that little corner and didn't find at least one thing that I was like, (laughs) mom, can I get this? No, you don't need it. (laughs) Right. That's just how it works. So tell me though about your campaign for Christmas. Did you have a thing? Well, it's funny you mention that. I don't know that I ever had a campaign per se, but I can think of like certain toys. You know, we've talked about the Ghostbuster toys. I remember having some of those play sets, including the Firehouse play set. Oh, yeah. That was amazing. That I had the Ecto-1. Awesome. <gasps> so good. Obviously love Nintendo and later on Super Nintendo. So I'm almost <clears> certain <throat> I was lobbying for certain games that had come out that I wanted so desperately. You had to have. So I think those like entertainment systems like the NES and the SNES, like those two, I can almost be certain my brother and I co-lobbied because, hey, what's better than one pester power? Two pester powers. <laughs> pester power unite. We were Wonder like Transformers. Power pester powers combine. When the Transformers combine to the mega Transformer. <laughs> that's your pester power. You know, and asking my question, why is it so relatable? I think that's it. Whatever that thing is, we can all remember at least that experience of seeing something that you were mesmerized by. And you were like, that's going to be so cool. Must have. So you kicked it off perfectly. And, you know, I'm not going to get into details. I'm going to leave that for later. But I think right off the bat, you're talking about what makes this movie work so well. That was my next question. Yeah, because it does 
does work so well. Yeah. The, and, and, you know, in watching what's crazy is like every other scene, and I'm not even, that's not hyperbole, is a classic. Like every mm. other scene, you're like, oh my God, I love this scene. This is hilarious. And it's like, yeah. there's so many quotable lines. So it is in the penultimate holiday movie. I think one of the elements that's so important is the narration, the adult narration of childhood. Oh my gosh. Because it's speaking directly to the idea of nostalgia, where you're like warmly remembering stuff. You don't remember everything. Maybe some things are a little warped from your memory. You don't remember exactly. Yep. He looks back so fondly on it, despite the struggles and the, you know, bullies that we'll get into. It makes me think so much of like Stand By Me, similarly where you find out at the end, like Richard Dreyfuss has been writing the whole thing the whole time, like his story. Yep. And what was fun is when I was rewatching it for this episode, I wrote down, you know, this is just like The Wonder Years. And then when I went and researched it, it did inspire The Wonder Years. This inspired The Wonder Wonder Years. Yep. So I think that's a big component. I agree. I think the excitement and the enthusiasm and the the kind of the misrememberings and the nostalgic and it's like the perfect voice that we already mentioned. And obviously Gene is like a master at already telling these kinds of stories and these are his stories. So it's like all the pieces kind of click together. And then you combine that with like really good cast. And you're right. Every scene is like a banger. It's like boom, boom, boom. And sometimes the scenes, you don't expect them. Something new comes up and all these thread lines get thrown up in the air, but they all come together in a way that makes sense. And you're like, oh yeah, the Dakota ring. I forgot about that storyline. Or the major award like comes out of nowhere. And then that has a through line for a while. Like all these little threads come together and just, they all tie up in a a nice little Christmas bow on your present. Look at that. And I feel like this has a lot of great scenes done well. And they're just like trimmed to their essence. So that you just get enough. There's not like a lot of fat or extra in this movie. It it all delivers. You mentioned something else earlier on, I think is perfect. Is this like... This movie is shot with two Instagram filters. Like it's it's a like like I feel like the edge of all. all Do you have shots, the names of these filters, by the way? I, I should have. I should have tried to pull. Would see if this one's actually similar. Can, like can, around, we, can we invent two filter names for this? Sure, sure. So the so the first is call, I'm going to call the nostalgia fade, and this okay. is where like the edge of the screen on so many almost kind of fades to black a little yeah. bit in the corners. It almost fades out. Yeah, which I think is really interesting. And I'm going to call I'm going to call the other filter Dreamwave. Where, like, somebody just barely glanced the camera lens across a vat of Vaseline. Yeah. So it's like a little foggy, like a memory, like a dream memory kind of thing. And all that makes it feel so nostalgic and dreamlike. It has, like, the – it's a very warm – color right it's got the haze it's got the like nostalgia view but they're warm colors yeah it's almost like a sepia hue or like overlay you're right there's like 14 instagram filters on this thing that's what clark did clark nailed it nicely done i think the other main thing that really makes this movie so special and what makes it feel realistic is that the most of the music the holiday music that's playing is very atmospheric it's not being played over the film, they're encountering it in the world as they go around. So there's like Christmas carolers, or you hear it on the radio in the background, or they go to the mall, and it's playing over the mall speaker. And it just really sets the setting so much better than just like, I don't know, as a director, just choosing what musical track you want to play over this scene. Well, like a great counterpoint is Home Alone has a fantastic- Oh my God, it's so good. Fantastic soundtrack. But to your point, it isn't that atmospheric. It creates a great atmosphere, but it's the soundtrack of the movie. But this is like- 
found objects in the world, right? You yes. come across a radio, you're walking by carolers. Absolutely. Yeah, and Home Alone is not trying to be nostalgic. It's not like, oh, you right. remember when we all used to set up murder traps in our house to keep them... <laughs> remember when your parents abandoned you by yourself and <gasps> you were a child? Memories. <laughs> no, right? It's a different tone. Yeah, for sure. What else do you think really helped make this work so well? For me personally, I love the over-the-top narrations and dream sequences. Because I think as a kid, you kind of exaggerate everything. Nothing is like a one or a two. You bury the needle into the red. And so you have these over-the-top sequences. Oh, Ralph, will you ever help us? You know, and it's like there's all these hilarious affectations. And uh, there's the one where Ralphie envisions that He's gone blind from soap poisoning. Oh, my God. The dad's like, what brought you to this lowly state? It was. It was <laughs> yes. soap poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so like the good. overdramatics. I get it because as a kid, things were unfair. And you always felt like, you know what? My parents are going to be proven how wrong they are in the most dramatic way possible. Or something was so amazing. It was going to be over the top where... I wrote this brilliant essay and the teacher, A plus, plus, plus. And the best (laughs) part about that scene is she's so excited and she does this little like hand flitter at her side, which I don't even know what it is, but it just reminds me of that va-va-voom. Like it's that weird little thing that again, transatlanticism. I just noticed it on this rewatch. She's written pluses on the side chalkboard, and at the end, she's drawing them on the wall. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Pluses. Yeah, the fantasy sequences are fantastic. And then, of course, like, when she, you'll shoot your eye out, the teacher becomes the witch, and then her mom is there in the jester outfit. Yeah, shoot your eye out. All of those, I think it's that channel into a kid's brain kind of a thing, where I'm like, yeah, yeah, at yeah. some point, we all had that over-exaggerated fantasy of something amazing or something awful, and I just loved... That And I think it works so well. And to me, like I said, the narrations are hilarious. Like the word choice, the turns of phrase crack me up. So I just I wrote a couple down here. Like we plunged into the cornucopia, quivering with desire in the ecstasy of unbridled avarice. <laughs> Who says that? It's amazing. No, it's amazing. And I, no, I, and I totally think that's, that's a huge part of the adult narration, that it's like a modern – it's going through what a child is experiencing, but not with an adult's vocabulary Yes, to explain it on a much more deeper and meaningful level. And that's, I think that's what makes it so funny. It's so I don't, I don't think Ralphie – young Ralphie, nine-year-old Ralphie would come up with the soft glow of electric sex gleaming in the window. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the lamp leg. And what was another one? Oh, when he has the soap, he's talking about the different brands. And he's like, my personal preference was for Lux, but I found palm olive had a nice piquant after dinner flavor, heady, but with just a touch of mellow smoothness. <laughs> <laughs> he's a connoisseur, which is unfortunate because it shows that he's suffered this many times. Uh, yeah. Once again, mom is the glue, the soap. Yeah. Actually, she's not the glue because all that glue disappeared and that leg lamp that's right. Did not get fixed. It did not Much get to fixed. the old man's despair. I love that narration. It was just so, again, talking about poetic, the, the poetic filth of the old man. There was just this like poeticism to it all. But you're right. It's like a kid would never use those words, but it's the adult thinking back on it. So you've got that built in right. nostalgia buffer that works so well. Being that you also grew up uh, largely in the Midwest like myself, does this movie make you, now that you live in the Pacific Northwest, miss snow like that? I too, like Bing, dream of a white Christmas. And so it's just nice. It's a, it's a beautiful atmosphere. 
all of these movies capitalize on, right? No matter where you live in the world, if you're watching a Christmas movie, it's probably going to have snow in it, even though you might live on the equator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. It, That's just the nature of the game. You don't even know what snow is. You've never yeah. even seen it. Exactly. So we asked our class of 80s high. Again, we've talked about a few things that make this movie so memorable, but some of it is like, what are your favorite lines or scenes? Yeah. We've mentioned some of these. They're so good. So one of them, which is so great, ah, fragile. It must be Italian. The person says, gets me every time. I agree. It's so great. Mom's like, I think it says fragile. (laughs) (laughs) Which like is just a great heart. And we'll get into this in a little bit. But like, it's just such a nod to like, the dad's insane overconfidence, but he's kind of an idiot in many ways. But he's also not offended. Like, they have a banter. The Mr. Yeah, and Mrs. Parker have a banter. Right. And he's not really offended, right? Like, even though no. they kind of quit back and forth, he's not like, well, I thought it was Italian. He just sort of like, okay, and they move on. It's kind of yeah, funny. It's like, oh, all right, yeah, yeah, that's a good line. I like that one a lot. And then related to that, we have another one. It's a major award. Right. Well, I think that's how we. Uh, I think that's how we teased that this episode was coming at the end of Ruxpin. Is that we're going to mi- win a major award for this? That's one. right. <laughs> for the podcast right. by two guys in Seattle who are doing things Christmas themed. Winner. I mean, uh, s- several people love the. I can't put my arms down. The mom's like, you can put your arms down when you get to school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that so much. Certainly, there's the dad's random profanity that happens every time, and then of course Ralphie's. Fudge. Fudge. But I didn't say fudge. <laughs> the queen mother of all swear words. But, and the music turn there is the sting is like, Burr! it's so oh, good. It's great. So there's one when Ralphie's dad leans out the window and screeches. I think this is, a, oh, this is after the dogs eat the turkey at the end. Such a bitch's bumpuses. And he hits, he just hits this pitch that is so brilliant. I mean, with all the time and symbolism and ceremony that goes into making a holiday turkey, mm. That scene makes my skin crawl how angry I would be if, like, the holiday turkey got ruined. Heart broken. And then the last one, he jumps straight to the triple dog dare. Straight to the triple dog dare. And I want to get back to the flagpole because there's there's some cool discussion there. Great stuff. Now, we could quote the whole movie. We could basically do what we did with Gremlins and just recount the entire movie. But I tried to pick just a couple of my favorite lines yeah. slash scenes from the whole movie. One of my favorites, when they come in from the flagpole and the teacher says, where's Flick? And Ralphie never goes, where's Flick? Flick, Flick who? <laughs> Which is just so like uh, trying to keep your friend out of trouble, trying to keep yourself out of trouble. Like I've already forgotten who this person is. I feel like I they're trying to keep line. themselves out of trouble more than their friend. Yeah, that's friend. true. <laughs> I don't ever know Flick. Who's this Flick? Who? Never heard I love that. that. Do you have one that you haven't mentioned yet? Yeah, so speaking of poor Randy, there's one great line. Randy lay there like a slug. It was his only defense. That was the other one I wrote down. That was my other line I wrote down. I love that line. This is when they first encounter Scott Farkas and his toady, Grover Dill. There's something about Billingsley's delivery of that line where it's like he gets it. Like he's not mocking Randy. No, not he's at like, all. He's it like it's, it's what any of us would have done in the same situation. He's like Randy of. had no other option. It was yes. his only choice. No, that was great. There's another one. The whole leg lamp scene, of course, is amazing. But like Mr. and Mrs. Parker are fighting and arguing with each other. And she's like, we don't have any more glue. And he just looks at her and he's like, the old man was coming up with the best comeback possible. And he's like, not a finger. <laughs> not a finger. These other two aren't really lines, but I just love the scenes. When they're in the department store and every child like screams down the slide away oh from my Santa. Gosh. Like, ah! the, okay, let's just be clear. 
Talk about bad Santa and Billy Bob Thornton. That was a trash bag Santa. That was a trash Santa. Higbies, who are you employing? He's a monster. This guy's a monster. Ho, ho, ho. And the elves were terrible too. They were all awful. So I'm like, no wonder those kids were screaming. They're so mean. They're so mean. What'd you say? Like, if I have to smell tapioca one more time. Oh, hello. <laughs> Why are these kids Merry eating tapioca? Christmas. Yeah. Uh, the only other scene I wanted to bring up. You know, of course, when he comes downstairs and he's wearing the bunny costume at the end, which yeah. is this great scene, there's something so relatable to your point at the top of the episode where, like, I think we all at least once have been recipients of such a well-intentioned gift. Mm. Like a gift that someone really thought about and they really put time and effort and sometimes really put money into. Yeah. And in your head, you just have to swallow it because what you're thinking is like, who the F do you think I am? What are you thinking? thinking yeah what am i supposed to do with this it's usually listen it's usually a grandmother an aunt a great aunt someone like that right where right. they care about you so much but they have zero clue what you actually like or are into right. and they just send you something where you're like or they made something which yes. you know that comes from the heart totally. i knit you a thing i what's the thing where you like you put the it's almost like um stained glass but you can make it with like this gel colors oh, into a mold yeah, yeah, and it yeah, would yeah, set yeah, yeah, and it looked yeah, like yeah. stained glass like i think i got one of those a few times i'm like cool i have no or like here's wind chimes you're like i'm not 70 like this is <laughs> not 70 <laughs> like, why do you give me these things what young man wants a set of wind but chimes? it comes from the heart to your point we all yeah. have that or it's just clothes right there's also like yeah, you get yeah. clothes and you're like okay fine I'm going to have to stomach this because... I'm going to have to wear this sure. when this yeah. person's around. Okay, here we go. <sighs> Agreed. So some other scenes that are great. Well, Ben, I have a question for you. Yeah. There's the whole great Orphan Annie scene. Yeah. Which is done so well. The tension. So good. The close-up. He's licking his lips. The dial is turning. He's writing feverishly. Well, here's how important Mom's it is. He's knocking on the door. Come on, Ralph. He's listening to a... There's a pirate talk show on yeah. the radio. And it sounds awesome. And he's like, come on. Nobody has time for this. Yeah, he's like, nobody shut up. I want pirates. little orphan Annie. <laughs> so good. Which you would think a kid like Ralphie would be under the pirates. He's like, I don't have time for this swashbuckling nonsense. So, yeah, Give me is, little orphan Annie. Come on. I this need is for to the decode kids. this message. Yeah. So it's shot so well, the tension ratchets, and you're like, what's the, be sure, be sure what, be sure to drink your Ovaltine. Your Ovaltine? And he's like, Ovaltine? It's a crummy commercial. Son of a bitch, right? Doesn't even. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's so mad. So, Ben, you yeah. often defend people of your craft and trade <laughs> in pretty much every single thing we talk about. How do you feel about dashing a child's dream. He gets this decoder ring and a marketer, a marketer decides yeah. Ovaltine. That's going to be the secret code. Defend yourself. It's a great question. No, I can't. If I marketers are on trial, we love to put things on trial. If this is a kangaroo court, what? <laughs> a kangaroo court. No, I hate stuff like that. I mean, you know, in general that we've, we've talked, I hate marketing to children. It's very problematic. And so, you know, obviously like Ovaltine how how would that sponsorship have worked? It's Little Orphan Annie. It's a commercial. Why is Little Orphan Annie? I think literally Ovaltine was helping to fund the show. Like, I don't think there's any in-story The Little connection. Orphan Annie show? Like, was there like a radio yeah. show about Little Orphan Annie? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it's after the show. Ovaltine so she's singing It's a Hard Knock Life, but she's not like, this Ovaltine's delicious. It's not that. It's just like, this program is brought to you by Ovaltine. Exactly. So that's a thing where like back in the 30s and the 40s and even into the 50s, Marketing and like show sponsorships were way more blatant, 
where like at the beginning or the end of shows, even like new shows, they'd be like, this is the new honey ham. Honey ham is the ham I serve my family yeah. and it goes great on bread and da da da. And yeah. it was like, but it were like, it was the people in the show who did the ad. It was an end show commercial. Where like now I have a friend from high school whose job for a long time was he was product placement on television shows. Mm-hmm. So they'd be like shooting a show and it was his job to make sure like the Cheerios box, the label was facing the camera because yep. Cheerios was sponsoring the production of the show. Yep. So it became a little more tactful later on, but this was back in the era where it was so blunt. But I totally echo Ralphie. I'm like, this is, this is crap. So I had that question for you. I also just want to say what I loved about the dad swears. So I guess the actor Darren, who played the old man, made up a lot of those rants that he went on. And these are just a few that I caught. Rattle trap, camel flirt, <laughs> fratten has nickel viper, oh my womp God. sack, butt bottom fodder, Monday noodle. It's so good. Like you can womp barely sack. catch it. Womp sack. Womp I'm going to start using that butt one. bottom fodder, Monday noodle. My favorite was has nickel viper. I don't know why I think that's so hilarious. Has nickel viper. Rattle trap. Camel flirt. I think that's what's so funny about this movie is obviously you want to appeal to kids. You want a PG rating, which this movie had. You can't put a lot of actual swears. Although they say son of a bitch or quite a bit in this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I was surprised. Oh, yeah. There's just something about it, too, where I don't know if it's like a nostalgia button or not. But just the fact that it's like we don't need the swears. We have these like ridiculous exaggerations. And even the part where like. Ralphie's laying in the scut farkas and he's just like pounding on him. He's like, Ratcha farka, ratcha. Now, apparently, according to Peter Billingsley, his lines are actually scripted. So he basically. That's amazing. <laughs> they actually. Having to memorize that. Yeah. Ratcha farka, Angry you know. rambling. But I thought that was kind of funny. And it's just another one of those things that, like, to me, makes it somehow charming. I don't know. I guess because it is an actual cussing. It's just like silly. What's the word I saw? Boulderisms? Oh. Where you like purposefully take out swear words for like non-swear words, like bullerisms, I think. Something like that. Anyway. I love it. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about Scott Farkas for a second? Please. Because we asked the class of 80s high a question about him. Oh, yeah. Well, like I – it wasn't until researching this movie that I learned it was S-C-U-T. Yeah. Scott. I thought it was Scott. I thought it was Scott as well. Because that's Scott. an actual name. Scott, Scott on the other hand, Farkas. is not. I love the little nugget here that's really neat. Of course, uh, you mentioned wolf and with yellow eyes. Yeah. And when we first meet Scott Farkas, the wolf piece from Peter and the Wolf plays in the background. So he's got the cool yeah. theme song from the classic symphonic music, which is beautiful. And also Farkas is derived from the Hungarian word for wolf. Isn't that great? I thought that was neat. I don't know if the actor, I think it's Zach Ward. I don't know if he wore braces at that time. Oh, But yeah. braces are almost a stand-in for like sharp teeth, right? Like it's... It's oh, metal, it's abrasive. Because he's wearing like one of the, what I would call like a Davy Crockett raccoon fur <laughs> yes. hat. Right. Again, to give him sort of like that wolf-like, the tail and the fur kind of a thing, I thought was hilarious. And there's something else about the whole Scut Farkas thing. So there's, there's a line of observations I've had in A Christmas Story that are not my like normal, this doesn't hold up today. Like here are the, here are the problematic things. Yeah. There's just unique, weird observations that you're like, huh. I don't think that would happen in a movie made today. Okay. And with, with Scott Farkas and the Toady, what's his name again? Grover Dill. Grover Dill. No adults ever get involved in this bullying. Yeah. When you have a bully in a modern film, usually like there's a parent-teacher conference, parents are called, like a kid is suspended for a few days. The only time a family member ever gets involved is when 
Ralphie's mother pulls him off Scott Farkas. And that's it. She says nothing to Scott. She does not acknowledge his presence. She does not acknowledge that his face is bloodied and beaten. She just attends to Ralphie and takes him back home. So that surprised me to have a a serious bullying issue ongoing and no adults ever try to stop it. Yeah, she wasn't like, are you okay? Or stop bothering my kid. Like there is no, yeah, it was funny. Super weird. Which I have to think is probably kind of of the era of the 30s and 40s where it's like it was just a different... Obviously, world that was like what eighty years ago at this point. So, right before I go down a rabbit hole of like things of that era, yeah, you said we did talk to the class of eighties high about Scott Farkas. So we kind of asked a fun question, <laughs> which was if you drew Scott Farkas for Secret Santa, what would you get him? Love, and love we had some fun. <laughs> These are awesome fun responses. So one of them that I liked was colorful rubber bands for his braces. <laughs> Jazz it up a little bit. Oh, yeah. I like through here, there were several um, wanted to help him out medically. So somebody, a <laughs> gift card for therapy sessions and uh, a referral yeah. to a doctor to get those yellow eyes looked at. You could get some corrective, you know, contact color lenses or something. So good. We also have some coal and a bunch of sunscreen. What which does I think sunscreen is, mean? I think it's a nod to him being a redhead. Oh. Redheads don't fare well in the sun. Well, that would be useful then. That sounds like somebody likes Scott Farkas. I mean, you know, you can give him coal, which he deserves, but also very much so. Treat him well. He doesn't deserve skin cancer, so you know <laughs> he does not. No, no, he didn't do anything worthy of getting cancer. Somebody threw here the uh, the trick jelly beans that are disgusting flavors. Have you ever played those? Have you ever played that? That's like a game. Jelly Belly, right? Is that what they are? I think Jelly Belly does it, but yeah, you they, they like come with a wheel you can spin, and they have to pull that color. Oh, they're not good. I don't think I've done that. They're not good. Uh, and then. We have a fruit basket, which is similar to what Miss Shields yeah. gets Ralphie's uh, from part Ralphie. Of his, uh, yeah, very, uh, very. We're going to uh, call that bribery. Persuasive. We're going to yeah, call that bribery. bribery. Yeah, for sure. What else so do we got? Payola. Then? Ooh, payola. Uh, a gift certificate to the courthouse for the amount of a name change <laughs> <laughs> away from Scott Farkas. I love that some of these are salty, sassy, but also a little helpful. Some are like, yeah. We acknowledge you're probably a bully because of what has exactly. happened to you. And we're going to fix that. We want to help. It's a very smart, modern take on it. It's very empathetic. I like that. I like that. Uh, Bring it home, though. Read the long one. That's so funny. Let's bring it home with one of those lottery tickets that looks like you won, but when you open it and you see where you redeem it, it says, yo mama's house. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Little bit of sap. You know what this is also like? Have you seen these before where it looks like a folded up $10 bill and someone will leave it like in a public restroom? You're like, $10, cool. Oh my God. And you pick it up and you unfold it and it's an advertisement, sometimes for like join a church or, you know, be saved or something oh. like that. It's like the people that gave you the, like the fake junk stuff at Trick or Treat and it wasn't candy. It was like, <gasps> here's a cassette tape or a thing. And you're like, monsters. Not cool. Not same cool. kind of same kind of thing. <gasps> I won the lottery. Your mama's house. You're like, okay. <laughs> okay. You've okay. had your fun jerkwad. That was a great question. Thanks, people. Lots of fun responses. Thanks, everybody. That was super great. I do want to jump back. You mentioned, um, you know, just things of like how things were back then. Again, which is interesting because it's the 80s reflecting on the early 40s, late 30s. I kind of really enjoyed seeing children having independence. Yep. They're walking to and from school on their own. Their parents leave them alone at the mall to go see Santa. And again, that's at least in, in Western society, you don't really see that much, like parents leaving their kids to have that independence. And I, I, I think that's important. I think that's good. And I like yeah. seeing it. It was cool. Yeah. And there's also a little bit of like solving their own problems. You know, on one hand, they also encounter hardships that they shouldn't have to because it is just the Wild West of children self-policing <laughs> and self-monitoring. 
Yes. On one hand, it is nice that the fact that, you know, maybe a scut farkas would be more monitored by other people these days. Like, for we don't sure. need to go through a bullying hardship to have growth. But it is kind of nice to see the decision making and the yeah. figuring things out. And that's a part of, I think, growing up in the 80s and 90s was a, a, a fun part of growing up is you got a little bit of that taste of independence. So I agree. I thought that part was fun. Yeah, totally. The only other, like, well, there's a couple weird ones. Again, not that they don't hold up, just cool to see, interesting to see. Ralphie doesn't have a crush. There's no romantic attraction between children. And I feel like any movie, any TV series, the leads always have a crush or an interest or even an interaction. Maybe it's like pre-interest and it's almost like yeah. uh, teasing the opposite sex because you're not ready and comfortable to admit that you like somebody. Yeah. It's almost like a reverse Bechtel test. Like it's the whole movie and, and nobody talks about the opposite sex besides an illuminated leg lamp in any way. I was going to say the leg lamp, and I think his main crush is that BB gun, man. That's the crush. He's he's all about that BB. That's the object of his desire. No, that's an interesting point. But then also, I don't know if any of the girls in his class, I don't think any of them have speaking roles. Going back to the Bechtel test. Oh, God, yeah. Because the teacher does, and Mrs. Parker does. Yeah. But I don't think any girls have speaking lines, because even like... Where's Flick? The one little girl, she just points. She just points. That's a really keen observation and a great dovetail into he only has other little white boy friends. You look in the class, there's boys and girls, you have African-American kids. Any movie made, I think, after 1990 was trying to be the magic school bus. And like every group of friends had like represented different like races and cultures right? and backgrounds yeah. Yeah, and genders. And not this. This is all like a little boy's story which I think is just a really a thing you don't really see much anymore. Yeah. You also get a little bit of the the gender role stereotypes with Mr. and Mrs. Parker, right? Mom and dad. Oh my God. It's a whole can of worms. Which again is like very emblematic of that time because I can tell you looking at my grandparents' generation and even my grandparents, the whole thing where like I got mad where the mom finally sits down to have dinner and then Mr. Parker's like, oh, do you have any more? And then she has to like get up and then she comes and sits back down again and then Ralphie's like, Mom, can I have more, like, potatoes or whatever? She has to get up again. And the narrator right. is even like, my mother hadn't had a warm meal right. since whatever. And part of it may be, like, the narrator looking back at the childhood and being like, oh, that wasn't great. But also, he was part of the problem. And that's just – that is definitely something I saw in at least one set of my grandparents where my grandmother was very much like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And my grandfather would be like, hey, what about this? What about this? And she'd run. You know, she did all the food prep and everything. And so that stuck in my crawl a little bit of like, ah, oh, go get it yourself. She just made everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Literally, I, he could have like turned around and grabbed it off the stove. He was so close. Since you dipped your toe in, I'm not going down a rabbit hole. Listen, chemistry class is about what works with this movie. What do we like about it? What are we fond about? But part of chemistry is sometimes you do experiments that don't work out. Yeah. <laughs> or you miss a part of the important formula or there's something that doesn't sit well on a rewatch. And I think we both had that experience. You know, when we watch something for this show, we're going to talk about it. So we're going to watch sure. it through a different lens than if it's just on a 24-hour cycle on TNT. And like you said, you walk in the room, you walk out, you, you stop by or whatever. Yeah. And so there's things that we both saw that you're like, yeah, 
And so I think that's where you're going. I'm going to stay compartmentalized. I'm, I'm saying focus just on the old man, just because of what you just said. Okay. In Latin class, which tells you what a cool kid I was back in the day, the, ter- <laughs> the term was paterfamilias, which meant head of the household. Yeah. And that's what sort of this Western culture is, is where like the man is the head of the household, whatever goes, goes. And although, like I said at the top of this episode, and I still believe it, I love this movie. There's so much great in it. There's so much, I think the kids today would say cringe with the dad in this relationship. Sure. Where it's sort of weird that they, the whole family kind of respect slash fears him. Like to think that he gets up from the table, and although it's kind of funny what he says, goes down and beats the bejesus out of this heater in the basement. And he's swearing, he's, he's throwing a tantrum. He's throwing an adult tantrum. Yeah. And for them to be afraid of that, that's grossly uncomfortable. That's very uh, inappropriate in today's culture. Mm. He threatens to shove food down Randy's throat because he's not eating it. So we're threatening physical abuse on the child. Not funny. Uh, Funny then when the movie maybe came out. Not funny today. Sure. And the only other one on the dad is the lamp. And I was just trying to think of like, if I, even if it wasn't like sexually offensive, it was just like, I dug out my... Ghostbusters firehouse toy from the basement and because it's Ghostbusters 2 is from the holidays I want to put it in the front window yeah. for all of December but there was no discussion with my partner she was not allowed to question me on it and had to tolerate it like what a totally different world to just do that without any <laughs> discussion or negotiation or compromise in the house just it's it's a little awkward it's weird it's weird you're absolutely right, Ben. I think, you know, there's that aspect. And I, I do I want to talk about a few other things that I would argue are more cringe. Well, oh, well, I was saving them for later, but yeah, we can get into it. Let's just talk about it now because let's, I, just get let, into let's it. acknowledge it, right? So yeah. there's one particular voiceover that when I heard this time, I'd never remembered it. And it made me like go, what? Yeah. Where he's talking about his dad's bargaining skills. And he says, dad bargained like an Arab trader. And I was like, whoa. I do not remember that line at all, and super cringy. Didn't sit well with me at all. He also makes another reference to Chinese water torture. Yeah. Also, just very cringy. And those two, I felt like, got into this. It was in the 80s, and so most certainly even more so in the 30s and 40s. This, like, treating other people as exotic. This exoticism, this... Eastern culture, the Far East, like there's a lot of that that kind of permeates some of the culture where it's really distilling people down to these like very basic, unanalyzed stereotypes. Yeah. Those two in particular, there's more, but those two in particular as voiceovers really gave me pause to be like, yeah, not okay. You pulled out two of the key racist lines that happen in this. I think there's a lot of isms that happen in this. And there's racism, sure. there's classism, and there's ableism. You know, when, when Ralphie's not eating, uh, the mom goes, you know, the starving people in China. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, we have our own issues with food scarcity and food deserts. Like, come on now. Sure. You know, we talking about Bullfrog getting traded from the team. He's like, oh, well, they kept four eyes. Like, let's well, ableism. We wouldn't, we wouldn't talk about people not being a good athlete because they wear glasses. Yeah. The narration talks about our hillbilly neighbors with the bumpus dogs, which mm. is actually made me think of the book Hillbilly Elegy. But like, <laughs> um, that's just classes. You wouldn't do that. And then near the end, the one that really that really caught in our household, it's a directorial choice. It's not a narrative choice. Mocking the Chinese restaurant staff by not being able to pronounce the words in the Christmas carols. There's just a lot of, um, and it's so, as a kid, when, you wa- when I watch this movie, none of this hits, right? Oh, absolutely But watching not. it through a modern lens as an adult... Man, there are a lot of, like, putting down the other in this movie, which is uncomfortable. 
Yeah, the biggest scene most certainly is the Chinese restaurant scene. And you're right, it, it just lands so differently now. And it's just one of those that I'd say if anything does not age well in this movie, that is the most prominent yeah. of all of these things. There's several, but I think that one just really... In retrospect, it was like, uh, wish they made a different choice. But, you know, part of revisiting these properties is what works and what doesn't. And <laughs> clearly these are ones that, you know, for us just didn't land at all. The only part of this movie that's sort of strange in a modern context, and again, chemistry, we've got to talk about this, is that the item of infatuation is a gun. Now, it's not a real gun. It's a It's a BB gun. It's a toy gun. And, you know, in our generation, thankfully, we had Nerf guns to get excited about. And those are a little less violent and look so much like a rifle. But I think, unfortunately, our generation has grown up in a very different time with the relationship between children and guns, especially in school settings. Schools, yeah. And so this whole movie, top to bottom, just feels very different, that he's not going after a Teddy Ruxpin or a Nintendo right. or something like that. It's it's a gun. It's a weapon that he wants so much. And that's, you know, it, it just it just hits very differently today. For sure. I do want to end it on a really positive note. There's two really interesting things because we are in chemistry class. So I want to give you two science things here I thought were really interesting that I found. Okay. So the gun that was written into this movie, the BB gun that, that Ralph is so excited about, unfortunately, the Daisy Rifle Company didn't make it. Mm-hmm. So this is what's so interesting. He wrote the description of the gun into this in, in God We Trust, All Those Pay Cash. And when they went to order it from the Daisy Rifle Company for the movie, Daisy said, here's the thing. We never made a rifle with a compass or a thing that tells time in the stock. Which is a sundial, by the way. (laughs) A sundial. Thank you. They had to custom make it to fit the description of the book for the movie. Yeah. And as you might recall, I had a bit of a reach in the Teddy Ruxpin episode about dino DNA filling in the gaps in our nostalgic memories. I love... That this whole movie was written, people read countless drafts, it was edited, it was reviewed, but he couldn't remember the real model of the BB gun from his childhood that he wanted to put in the movie, and that's kind of something we suffer in nostalgia sometimes. Absolutely. Last thing, since this is chemistry class, Chris, question. Okay. And I don't know if you were a good science student or not, so this is the hard question. It wasn't my best subject, but go ahead. If it is below freezing outside, can your tongue really stick to metal? Hmm. I'm going to say it could. Maybe it's not likely, but I think it could. You think it could? Because I remember in band, there's a whole thing in band. If you played a brass instrument in particular, when you weren't playing, like let's say you were in marching band and it was winter and it was cold. Yeah. When you're playing, it's a gross instrument. All the condensation just builds up. And so the whole thing was like, do not keep the mouthpiece to your mouth because it could stick to your mouth because of the condensation oh. and the cold. Oh, that's why they do that. I've seen that. So by that, I'm going to say it is possible, but maybe not always likely. I love that you're answering it with a lived experience. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, this question was not too long ago posed to Frank J. DeSalvo, director of the Cornell Center for Sustainable Future and co-director of the Cornell Fuel Cell Institute. And the answer is, yes, it can absolutely happen. Okay. It's because of the high thermal conductivity of the pole, said Dr. DeSalvo. The metal's a much better conductor than your tongue, up to 400 times more powerful. The metal takes heat faster than your body can replenish it. There's like water droplets in between the grooves in your tongue, and they all freeze very quickly because there's not a, a bunch of mass of them all together. 
So in the movie, how they do it is actually there's a little hole cut in the pipe and there's a vacuum cleaner sucking his tongue into the pipe. Like a little tube, yeah. But if this ever happens to you, don't call the fire department. You just pour warm water over the contact point until it comes loose. There it is. It worked. I didn't know. Well, thankfully, they are not serving frozen metal poles at the lunchroom today. <laughs> Good, because I, I'm full. I've already had enough frozen metal poles. But I did hear that Ralphie's in the lunchroom serving up knuckle sandwiches. So I hope you're oh, hungry. God. He's ready to deliver. Oh, God. <laughs> what do you say we check that out and meet back after lunch? Let's do it. I hope they have Ovaltine. Make way for one of America's favorite characters. Can one tiny reindeer save the day on a stormy Christmas Eve? The original Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Then the excitement begins with special guest star Kirk Douglas and dozens of celebrities in the 12th Annual Circus of the Stars, Tuesday. I love decorating the tree. Me too. Hand me the lights, Zach. Can I plug them in? Sure, but no more than two plugs in one hour. Yeah, we don't want to cause a fire by overloading the circuit. And we have to unplug the lights when we water the tree, or leave home, or go to bed. Because a safe holiday season is a happy holiday season. Hey, where's the star? Here I am. Happy holidays, everyone. This message brought to you by your friends at Duke Power. to be sharing Fred. Happy holidays, pal. Oh, Fred. Fruity and Cocoa Pebbles cereals, part of this nutritious breakfast. <laughs> okay, Ben, we made it past lunch. They were serving meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and red cabbage. My favorite. Which, um, and you brought that up, why? Because that was the meal I think they have every night in the movie. At every single meal. Every, movie, dinner, every dinner is the same, that meal. same meal. So perfect. I mean, I love meatloaf and mashed potatoes. I don't know if I'd want it every night in a row. No, it's too much. It's meat too much. Meatloaf, beet loaf. Variety is the spice of life. No wonder Randy didn't want to eat it. It was the same freaking dinner every night. Exactly. I you get know it. what? I'm, I get I'm getting behind his, uh, his little protest there. I get a kid. I'm on it. So we mentioned it came out in the theaters. Didn't do great. Eventually, it did make its way on television on several channels. I think it first started on some of the premium pay channels and then eventually got to some more of the network channels. Slowly builds momentum. But the big point that I think we all know and remember is 1997. Yes. TNT begins airing a 24-hour marathon dubbed 24 Hours of a Christmas Story with 12 consecutive airings. Spanning basically evening of Christmas Eve to evening of Christmas Day. And I think this is where a lot of us totally reconnected with this movie on an annual basis. Well, and I think it's just so fascinating that it took a while to make it happen, right? Yeah. You know, they talk about great authors aren't respected until they're dead. Sometimes art isn't really appreciated or valuable until the artist is dead. This took over a decade for this to like catch on as like a Christmas classic movie, which is fascinating. And there's so many of those movies that are amazing that do that. Office Space is another one I remember. That movie tanked. tanked at the box office, but became this cult classic through people watching it, you know, from renting from Blockbuster and all that kind of stuff. Like it became this movie everyone talked about. And I also love Big Lebowski. 
probably oh, so on good. this podcast before. Same so thing. Good. It didn't really hit in the theaters, no. but has such a massive following now. And so, yeah, this is not totally uncommon. I mean, it's a fascinating movie that it's it's about the 40s, made in the 80s, and not a hit until the 90s. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. It is of many ages. Of many it ages. Is. Yeah. So this is not the only work of fiction in the Christmas Story universe, right, Ben? Uh, I mean, unfortunately. So there are a lot of other iterations that come out. So there's the PBS series American Playhouse. They produce two television film adaptations featuring same characters, different actors. But Shepard did come back to narrate. At least you get that. Yes. Because it's real bad when you try and do a spinoff or a sequel and no one from the original thing is there. It just gives it no credence. Then in 1994, we get It Runs in the Family. Oh, boy. Here we get Gene Shepard back again as narrator, and we get Teddy Moore as Miss Shields, the teacher. So this also features an entirely different cast, again, with those exceptions. And it had a kind of a limited release. And this is another one of those movies, I think we know some of these, that got retitled to My Summer Story when it went to home video television release. Oh, and I always think of... Oh, yeah. Was it Die... Hard? Live, Die, Repeat? Was the... It was a Tom Cruise oh, yeah, movie. Oh, Edge of Tomorrow. Live, Edge die, of repeat. Tomorrow became Live, Die, Repeat. Yeah, right. I love that movie. If we were recording so late at night, I would watch that movie right after we finished recording. I love that movie. It's a good one, but it's always interesting, these movies, where it's like they don't quite hit the audience they're intended to, and so they think if we retitle it, maybe it'll work. Yep. Have you seen It Runs in the Family slash My Summer Story? No, I have not. I don't know if it works, but it didn't seem like it made a big splash, the fact that no one's really heard of it. Also, A Christmas Story 2. Oh, God. Comes out in 2012. You know it's good when it's direct-to-video. Coming straight to DVD. Did you watch the trailer for this? Ben, I watched the movie. You oh, you watched this thing? Listen, 80s High listeners, I love the you all so much. sacrifices you make for these people. A Christmas Story 2. Now, Consolation did not pay for it because it's on HBO right now. Oh, I think so, you going to say because you own it. No, thankfully... <laughs> no... Thankfully, HBO Max had both of these movies in their library currently. So I was like, you know what? For this podcast, I will watch the sequel. So I want to see if you can confirm or deny. Please. I I just watched the trailer. Okay. And there's one excited thing about it. Somebody who's in it, which I'm sure you'll mention. Yes. But my only note about what I thought this movie looked like from watching the trailer, I wrote, it looks like hot, hot garbage. (laughs) (laughs) It looks so bad. So bad. So being a direct-to-video, it has a cheaper, more set look to it. The nice thing about the first movie is it feels like this dingy, lived-in space. And this had that, like, clean, pristine, we're-on-set kind of a look. Ralphie's, like, almost turning 16. His big thing is he wants a car. Yeah, right. And he does have a love interest in this one. Oh, interesting. Flick and Schwartz are back, and the three friends come together, blah, blah, blah. The only known person in it is Daniel Stern. He plays, plays the, the old dead. man. He's the Marv. dead. He's a he's, wet bandit. He's Marv. He's a wet bandit. I thought that was pretty cool. That would be the only reason I would give this even a passing watch. And I don't even know that it's worth it. You know, they, they do try to recapture the narration and the way the narrator tells the story. It's not Gene Shepard this time. But the guy, he doesn't try to emulate Gene Shepard, but has some of the like cadence and yeah. affectations in his voice. Just doesn't really work. Don't go watch it. 
I wonder what what was up with 2012 because 2012 is when the movie came out. It was also the same year that there was a musical adaptation that opened on Broadway. Broadway. That was co-produced by Billingsley, Childhood Ralphie. Yep. So I wonder why like 2012 was the year to try and bring it back so hard with a sequel and a Broadway production. Was that like 15 years of being on TNT and doing this 24-hour cycle? Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, so musical in 2012, it received several Tony Award nominations. Don't believe it won any. And then the musical in 2017 was adapted for television as a three-hour Christmas story live, which apparently is not good. It's got a pretty good, cool cast, though, which is unfortunate. Uh, Maya um, Maya Rudolph stars Rudolph in it. Rudolph is in it. Yeah, and she's the mom. There's cameos from Ken Jeong, um, who like is from um, The Hangover fame. Yeah, Fred yeah, Armisen yeah. is in it. David Allen Greer. Matthew Broderick shows up in it. Like, there's a cool cast, but wow. I, I didn't get to see it. Apparently, it's not good. Uh, we also did skip over another stage adaptation in 2000. There was a stage play adaptation for A Christmas Story, which, I don't know, may have also kind of influenced the musical that came. Yes, I want to run back to the 2000s really fast, too. So in 2005, did you get this, the guy who bought the house? A Christmas Story house. So Brian Jones in 2005 off eBay buys the house for just $150,000. And he spends a year and almost half a million dollars building it to be exactly like the interior from the film. Yeah. And he opens it as a tourist attraction right in time for a Thanksgiving 2006. He also buys the house across the street to make it a gift shop for it. Yeah, and I think it's a museum of some of the props, too. So you can actually go visit. It's in Cleveland, Ohio. Let's talk about Superfan. Can you imagine somebody, like, buying the Goonies house just to do that today? I was going to say, don't go to the Goonies house. Those people will murder your face off. Anywhere near it. But you can go legitimately and legally visit the Christmas story. (laughs) House, which is cool. That's awesome. That's awesome that this person was so passionate, invested all of that money for that. I think that's amazing. I didn't get to watch this one too, but I remember, you know, when we did Harry and the Hendersons, we went to the Hendersons' home in Seattle to to check it out. Do you want to go together and buy it? Is that where this is going? (laughs) Are we going to buy the house? Yes. We'll we'll get John Lithgow to do the ribbon cutting. It'll be great. Oh, thank God. Uh, No, in 08, there's a documentary called Road Trip for Ralphie, where these two A Christmas Story mega fans do a two-year quest around the country to try and find every location and stuff from the movie. They dig up the Miss Shields chalkboard in a dumpster. They find most of the movie's costumes in an old warehouse in Toronto. And they actually find the old location of the Chinese Christmas meal. Years ago, I went to Hawaii not to find all the shooting locations of Jurassic Park, but I can admit that I went to a bunch of shooting locations sure. of Jurassic Park. Was there. But that's not why I went. You have to be a diehard movie fan to want to drive to go find all those sites and props and stuff. That's some serious dedication. It's a two-year quest. It's, That's it's, no joke. It's not like, hey, let's take a couple weekends. That's two years. It's That's a, long a lot. That's commitment, everybody. So I think those are a lot of the like proper spinoffs from this. But also, I want to talk about influences and references oh, really yeah, good, quickly. Good, 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 good. Because you mentioned in an earlier class, The Wonder Years. Yeah. And I also saw that The Wonder Years television show, Fred Savage plays Kevin Arnold, came out in 1988. What and it uses would you do if, ooh, I, if I sang attitude? Would you stand, stand up and walk up out on us? Because that's God, what we're I doing love. right now. Because that's what we're doing. Yeah, because we are singing. Right, exactly. And we're done with this episode. Somebody just turned us off. 50% rage quit just then. <laughs> so obviously it has very similar like retrospective narration style. Yeah. That nostalgia of looking back. 
on childhood and it centers on like a son and this family. Mm-hmm. And do you know who the narrator is for that show? Who does the adult Kevin voice? Uh, adult Fred Savage from the future? I'm going to blow your mind. Daniel Stern. Whoa. Oh, I totally hear it. Marv. Oh, that's awesome. Marv does the voiceover, which is so cool. Marv is really a Christmas treasure. He's in all this stuff. This it's is so great. great. But this is an actual inspiration. Like it is a documented inspiration. This show was inspired yeah. by a Christmas story. It's a great TV show too. Exactly. I hope we if talk about if it. If you're not a Wonder Years person, and we really should do it. Again, it's the same sort of like nostalgic look back on childhood uh, the same sort of narration what do you call it retroactive nostalgia like it's a time that we never lived in because that's in the 60s i think yeah exactly. like i never lived in it but you can identify with the nostalgia You're like oh that sounds kind of amazing <laughs> sounds yeah. kind of cool yeah yeah that's neat i was trying to think of other shows that have similar style you mentioned stand by me the movie yeah, definitely has that narration richard sure. Dreyfus, you know does that uh, Malcolm in the Middle focuses on his son. Yeah. He yeah. self-narrates, but it is kind of like... Here are the antics of my family, and it was good and bad and weird. Yeah, and yeah. it's not retrospective, but it's like that commentary from a child. And then mm. How I Met Your Mother kind of has that too, where there's the voiceover oh, done by Bob Saget, who is looking back on how he met the kid's mom. Well, that the is... The clue a- is indeed in the title, everybody. The... <laughs> That is a great segue with How I Met Your Mother. Okay. Because the last influence I saw is just last month on HBO came out 8-Bit Christmas. Yes! Starring Neil Neil Patrick Harris. Yes! Which is sort of him recounting his childhood memories, I think, right, of trying to get a hold of a Nintendo for Christmas in the 80s. We don't currently have HBO, but I, I watched the trailer. I was like, oh, it's a modern day A Christmas Story. It's it's Neil Patrick Harris yeah. remembering his quest to try and get a Nintendo in the 80s. I will just say this much. IMDb has a slew of properties that reference this movie. So many, I don't want to talk about many of yeah. them. But I do want to note, it is often referenced in Mystery Science 3000 and Rift uh, Tracks, which we've talked about on here. I love it so much. Obviously makes sense. And to TNT's 24-hour marathon, uh, MST3K does do a turkey day marathon. Just so they they do an all-day oh, nice. marathon of MST3K. I love it. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And one of the last influences I saw is, so Black Christmas, the movie we talked about, Bob Clark, was remade in 2006. Apparently not good, so don't watch it. That's what I hear. But there's a leg lamp in the sorority house. I guess as a reference to the leg lamp, yes. Which I was like, (laughs) that's great. I thought that was awesome. That's really cool. Okay, Ben. So I have one other really crazy thing that I want to talk about. I found a Black Christmas theory that connects potentially to a Christmas story. Okay. It's a fan theory by Reddit user Predator with an I. And the theory is Randy... Younger brother we talked about, neglected by his brother and his friends, often forgotten, coddled by his mother. Stop it. No. He ends up being the stalker (laughs) in Black Christmas. No, stop it. And they're like, listen, there's the whole scene. Show me how the piggies eat, right? (sighs) He calls her a little piggy, right? Does he call her a piggy or something? And the stalker in the movie makes like a pig reference when talking to one of the sorority sisters on his calls. He also does a lot of whining and moaning. We're on the phone, which is exactly what Randy does. Oh, my God. Also, the timeline. You know, we talked about this nebulous late 30s, early 40s era. 30 years later would place Randy at the right age (gasps) for this killer in Black Christmas. So did Randy develop 
a Norman Bates-like obsession with his mother, which led him to kill all of these unsuspecting people at a sorority house in Black Christmas. Ben, he do does, we have the connection? You know, I can't rule it out. You know, he does like to hide around in the house. Remember Randy's like hiding under the sink? He and the is. mom finds him. Yeah. Dad's gonna kill Ralphie! So he likes hiding. As we talked about, he grew up in a household with an abusive father in different ways. <laughs> so it did set him on a bad a And bad a doting, overprotective mother. Exactly. Right. Um, he was familiar with the concept of death. You know, his brother yeah. wanted a gun. He yeah. thought his dad was going to kill his brother. Yeah. You know, really messed up connection to sexuality and women with the leg lamp. Yeah. So that, like, sends him on trajectory to the sorority house. Obviously, he eventually learned to put his arms down because you can only slash with a downward motion. That's right. Um, I, I, you know, I, I would say it's not out of the question. I think it's possible. The last piece of information. Bullied? So, he was bu- bullied, bullied by Scott Farkas growing up? I mean, all the elements are there. Maybe laying defenseless like a slug was no longer his option. only option. <laughs> I'm not going to take this laying down Time anymore. to strike back. Black Christmas awesome. came out in 1974, nine years before Christmas Story. Oh. Bob Clark said he and Gene worked on the script for 10 years. <gasps> Just saying. This is sort of like, um, what do they say? We're like, um, uh, what's the kid in Home Alone? So, Ben, I'm so glad you said that right now. Grows up to be the, the guy in Saw. We now have all of the pieces. This is what I've been building to. We have all of God. the pieces in place for oh an inception level mind fork. Uh, Are you ready? A mind fork. A, a mind, mind fork. Fudge? A, a mind, mind fudge. fudge. Are you ready for this? I don't think I am. Let's see. It starts with Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern plays the old man in A Christmas Story too. Right. As mentioned, he also voiced the adult narration of Kevin in The Wonder Years, a show inspired by A Christmas Story. Uh-huh. Stern also starred in another famous Christmas movie franchise, Home Alone. Also, the kid's name is Kevin. Also focusing on the perspective of one of the children, also named Kevin. Oh, boy. Played by Macaulay Culkin, whose younger brother, Kieran, stars as Ralphie in My Summer Story. What? Another sequel, in fact, from this movie, who, of course, also plays Cousin Fuller in Home Alone, a movie with its own fan theory that Kevin McAllister grows up to be Jigsaw from the Saw movie franchise. You are absolutely correct. And, much like the younger brother, Randy, who might be the killer from Black Christmas, both of them traumatized by their childhood experiences. Shyamalan twist! Oh, Shyamalan! <laughs> Shyamalan twist! Come on. Forget Kevin Bacon. This is too many connections. There were a lot of ways we could have tied this movie into the things tonight. I would have never guessed that we were going to pull a Christmas story to Saw. Yes. That was pretty amazing. Come on. I get it. I'm on board. I love it. The pieces it. all came together. And here's the thing. That's a more fun, interesting game than Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Why do we play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon? We should be playing this. This is yeah. much better. Six Degrees of Jigsaw Murders. The, tw- but- <laughs> the Twelve Murders of Christmas. The Twelve Murders of Christmas. That was awesome. Well done. You must be exhausted. I am. And I heard Scott and Grover are waiting for us in the hall, Ben. Oh, so, oh my God. Let's sneak out this window, take okay. the alley to Miss Shields' class, so we can finish our day with arithmetic. Yeah, there's a small doll on a tricycle out here, but I think it's safer than <laughs> encountering Scott and the toady. Let's do uh, it. Uh, let's deal with the doll. Okay. Uh, that was a really weird game we just had to play. <laughs>
Yeah, the first rule of Jigsaw Games is you don't talk about Jigsaw Games. So we, we, we cannot disclose what we just did. <laughs> the Jigsaw Games. The less asked, the better. We made it. We made it is all you need to know. We indeed made it, Ben. Much like Christmas morning, everything has been revealed. We've torn open all the presents. There's wrapping paper everywhere. Ribbons festooned about the yeah. room. Toys are strewn all over the place. The clothes have been tossed over in a corner somewhere. We don't know where they are. And... As we take a look at everything before us, I think it's time to give our assessments of how this movie fared. Yes, absolutely. Benjamin, your thoughts? Such a gentleman. Sometimes by the end of the episode, you've swayed me in a direction. Whatever my standpoint is, you've, you've softened my heart on something, or you've made me bitter and cold and angrier at the thing. <coughs> Never-ending story. Uh, I mean, I'm never wrong, though, but go You're on. You're not wrong with that never-ending story. <laughs> But this is one where I feel I'm very similar like I was at the top of the show. I still love this movie. I think this is a great Christmas movie. Would I watch this movie any other time of the year? No. But when it comes Christmas time, I feel like it's a, you have to watch A Christmas Story. Yeah. It's hilarious. There's so much warmth in the filmography of it, how it's shot and how it's lit and the music. It's so funny. There's so many good quotes. It's very difficult to watch now through a modern lens because mm. there is... I don't want to say so much, but there's enough racism, classism, sexism, child abuse, and the, the infatuation with a weapon that just because of the modern times in a Western world are really uncomfortable to watch when they mm. happen. And they're really awkward, especially in a setting that is supposed to be a warm, beautiful family Christmas movie. Right. And so I, I still love it in my heart. And as long as I can put the movie in a spot that is, I am watching through the lens of a movie made in the 80s that is trying to interpret the lens of the 40s, <laughs> you know, it's several degrees removed of historic commentary, then I can still enjoy it. But if I try and just think of it as a Christmas film today, it's challenging to get through. So I love it. It's a classic. Always recommend watching it around these times, but take some of the issues with it uh, with a grain of salt if you want to try and enjoy it. For sure. Yeah, I think I landed in a similar place. You know, it's one of those movies I do like to watch every Christmas. It is like Home Alone, Gremlins, Die Hard. Like, I need, and now Ghostbusters 2 has to be added to that list. Spin it up. Give me a reason. You know, it, it captures the magic of that childhood marvel, that obsession of that one thing you can't live without. It has those fun vignettes and highlights of memory lane. It kind of takes you back through that hazy tunnel of nostalgia, all the Instagram filters we mentioned. When things felt less complicated, there are those cringeworthy moments that we talked about, particularly the Asian and Middle Eastern stereotypes. Hopefully they remind us of the importance of telling more complete stories, mm. more diverse stories, avoiding otherisms, mm -hmm. and generally just remembering that humor doesn't have to come from showcasing racial stereotypes. Yep. You can find the humor somewhere else. Yeah. And I think it just would land so much better. Thankfully, the movie doesn't rest on these moments, but it can turn off some viewers. I definitely see that. Overall, though, I do find this movie to be delightful with its standout performances, charming characters, the witty over-the-top narration and dialogue, truly laugh-out-loud moments, <laughs> and a narrative structure that pulls you in and makes you feel right at home. Aww. Right at home for the holidays. Oh, with Randy hiding in your attic. <laughs> And waiting, <laughs> waiting to kill your entire family. Well, it's very exciting to talk about this topic today. Great. Listeners, thank you for listening in. Ben, 
As much yeah. as I had the honor of choosing a topic for the week of Christmas, you, I would say, have the equal honor of ringing in the new year with our very first topic of the year, 2022. I'm very excited. Big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill. Big shoes and shoes I shall fill. Maybe. Are we talking about Reebok pumps? <laughs> <laughs> As you know, the New Year is always about a time for resolutions. And I always try and be courageous in the New Year's resolutions and try something new. So I'm going to try something very new for our Ooh, next topic. Okay. I'm not going to do a film. I'm not going to do a TV show. I'm not going to do a toy or a game or music. For the very first time, I'm just going to try a cultural phenom from the okay. 80s. Okay. It is New Year's resolutions, the time when people are making promises to be better in a part of their life that they want to be. And oftentimes, uh, back in the day when going to gyms was a lot easier, (laughs) gyms would be packed for the next four or five months with people who had resolved to lose weight or get in shape. Four or five months? That's very optimistic. I was going to say four or five weeks. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then they, you know, peter off and discover this is not for them, and then then they're out. Because working out is awful. Yes. It, It is the worst. And you know, it is awful because... There's always some new gimmick to try and make it exciting and interesting to hook people to get on board. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got CrossFit. We've got Taibo. Uh, there's this new thing, yogging. Jogging? Yogging? I think they call it yogging. Yogging? <laughs> yogging. Um, Is that when you yawn while jogging? Cause yes, because it's so boring. You're so freaking bored. I, the holidays are always hard because you just stuff yourself around Thanksgiving and the holidays that happen in December. It's time to get fit. So next time on 80s High, pull up your leg warmers. Oh, dear. Get on some Lycra. Okay. Because I want to go stand in front of a mirror with 20 strangers and understand the 80s phenom that is jazzercise. (laughs) (laughs) There is going to be so much uncomfortable jazzercise video watching. (laughs) So much Lycra. So much spandex. Oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. And what a phenomenon it was. I can already recall a particular tape my mom used to watch. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We're going to talk about all those. I have no doubts. Well, if you can find the tape, let's you and I try and do a session uh, so that we can be ready. (laughs) Uh, Because on the next episode of 80s Eye, get ready for Jazzercise. Oh, my gosh. Everyone, enjoy your holidays. Have a safe and festive new year. We'll see you in 2022. Back at 80s Eye. Jazzercising. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical. Stay radical.